Welcome to Wah Wonders Why, a companion podcast to Smart Enough to Know Better. This episode is titled Lost, Lost Women, Women of Science, of Science Space, Space for Women. Women. As last time, we will be joined by Dr. Alice Gorman to talk about the Lost Women of Science and how we can make them a little bit less lost. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Space Junk herself, Dr. Alice Gorman. Hooray! Hello, Dr. Alice. Great to be back on your wonderful podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that's why we have you back all the time. Flattery <laughs> will get you everywhere. That's in this world. <laughs> and, of course, we're talking today about women in science and women who have been forgotten in science. But before we get to that, you have something really interesting to point out, don't you? I do. So the United Nations has um, started this new program as part of the Office of Outer Space Affairs, which we often just call by its acronym UNUSA. And this is uh, a program called Space for Women. And you can see there's a little bit of a pun there. So it means outer space, but it's also <laughs> creating the space for women to get more involved. And the idea of this program is that in order to meet the Sustainable Development Goals, which the United Nations is working towards for the year 2030, mm -hmm. there needs to be more action on getting, uh, increasing the participation of women and girls in space industry, space education, mm -hmm. uh, participation in space and access to space services. So what they've done as part of this program is create uh, an, a mentor network and I'm very fortunate to have been selected to join this network. So it's women working in different space capacities uh, across the world. So the idea is to have a very broad representation. I think I'm the only person from uh, Australasia, Oceania. Oh, oh congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you. And, and my role as a mentor in the Space for Women Network is to help increase the visibility of women, increase the participation of women, mm. provide mentorship to get more women into leadership roles, and just generally act as a, a catalyst for trying to meet the Sustainable Development Goal 5, gender equality, by the year 2030. And part 2030. So it's, you know, it's a decade. It's, it's not away. that, it's not that long away. No. It isn't that long away. And by all accounts, so Australia is participating in this and produces an annual report on how we're progressing mm. towards sustainable development goals. Um, but many countries are kind of falling behind. So this mentor network, I think, is meant to be just a, a bit of a kickstart, a bit of a push to just keep the momentum going. Mm. And one reason I was very keen to uh, come and talk on your podcast mm -hmm. is, is that part of this is making women visible to other women. Mm -hmm. It's that, that old saying, people say it all the time, you can't be what you can't see. Yes. So you need to know that there are other women in science, space science, physics, astronomy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. astrophysics, space industry out there. And as you know so well, Greg, hmm. um, it's really easy for women just to fall out of the stories, fall Absolutely. out of And especially as they go, as they um, uh, increasing at start, well, from my experience in the modern era, 
uh, where I work at the moment, there's a lot of female uh, PhD students who go on and do their degree, and then there's less postdocs, and then there's less associate professors, and there's less professors, and there's less, as in it goes, a female, I should say. As, a, as time goes on, the gender balance gets wider and wider and wider as, as the further up the pyramid you go. Uh, so if, if you don't have women in, in associate professor and professor roles, women don't know they can get there. They don't see it as possible to have a family, have a career, have both, have neither. Like it's, everything's impossible basically. Yeah, that's so true. And, and, you know, those statistics which show that very fast drop off as you get towards the more senior level, they've kind of stayed the same for a while. We, mm. nothing we've been doing is really, kind of made a big difference there. So obviously, you know, this is not a problem we're going to solve all at once mm -hmm. or overnight or by taking one single action. It's across a whole range of fronts. But talking about women in science and women in space is mm -hmm. such an important part of that. Mm, I absolutely agree. It's it's something – and I've never understood from a male perspective, <laughs> uh, I've never understood why we don't want to use 50% of the population's brains, just purely on that level. I, I sit there and go, wait, there's 50% of the population who is just as smart as the other 50% of the population. Why aren't they all just being grabbed, like all the clever people being grabbed out of there and put into, into space jobs? Because then we double the number of clever people working on these issues. I, I, it fascinates me that, that, that we're still stuck in that, ah, oh, but women aren't good at maths and science. And you, it's 2020, for goodness sakes. Like, it it, it shocks me. It, but it's still there. It still exists. It's amazing. It, do, it does still exist. Like, like, it really is astonishing. And I was thinking about this uh, yesterday, thinking about the, the idea. So men are already considered to be at home in the STEM space. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. belong there. So, so they have to take action to get out of it, whereas women are automatically strangers in that space and they have to take action and fight to get into it. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, it takes less effort for men to not be in STEM than it takes for women <laughs> to be in it, if that kind of circular mm. logic. No, no, I, I, I fully understand that. I mean, when I was a young man and thinking of what I was going to do, um, I was very good at school, and so all the teachers said, oh, you're going to be an engineer. It's just what everyone said. I'm not an engineer, by the way. I don't like engineering. <laughs> I mean, yay for engineers, but it's not my interest level. And as a male, they're just like, well, you're good at maths and science. You're going to be an engineer. But I wonder if I'd been a girl, they would have pushed me in that direction. I, I wonder. Back in the, the well, 90s. I was good at maths and science, and no one ever said to me, you'll be an engineer. Not ever. Mm. Not once. Not, it was something that just never. But I was good at maths and science. I did extremely well yes so there you go it's exactly as you say yeah very strange it's it's something that i think it's we we sometimes people say why do you constantly bring it up why are we harping on this to use that term and it's because it it's it still isn't something that people understand it's still a it's a misunderstanding from a from, from a lot of men anyway uh that this is a problem and even what's interesting to me i, I won't go too much in detail but i know that some women talk about it and, and you realize that it's 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 a systemic issue that even some women propagate as well. It's not just naughty men being naughty. <laughs> it's, it's across society. It's really, it's, it's insidious. It's, it's the, it's the science. And we just keep pointing it out and pointing it, but look, there it is again. There it is again. It's not that we're trying to ruin anyone's day. It's just to point out mm -hmm. there's an inequality there. 
Yeah, you ha- you have to know that it exists to start observing it, mm. and then start altering your expectations and actions to mm. to not perpetrate it. So yeah, unconscious biases. I've done some research recently. Lots of unconscious biases that you have about what you think the world is, and you don't even realize that you're propagating the system. It's interesting. It, it is really, really interesting, and of course that goes for other things as well. So it goes for for racism and mm. all that raft of attitudes where you make assumptions about people based on on characteristics that are in fact irrelevant to their talent or their uh, in, integrity as a person. Absolutely. So that's what this podcast is all about, to try and get some more visibility to exceptional women in science and to understand there's a place they can, it just even if you're if you're interested, you can you can find someone like yourself as a mentor to hopefully uh, to give you someone to, to aspire to, to talk to, to realise that there are spaces for you. you. You just have to push your way in with your shoulders a bit, I think. The, the doors open a crack, mm-hmm. but if I'm on the other side of the door pulling it open further, mm-hmm. then you can walk through it instead of having to use your shoulders to burst it open. <laughs> That's right. So what can people do? If people are interested, I'll put the link to the Space for Women Mentor Network in the show notes. But what can someone do if they're uh, – well, what can they do is just a general question. There's so many things that you can do. But what something I really wanted to talk about today, since our theme is the forgotten women of science, mm-hmm. is how you find these women mm-hmm. and what you might do once you have come across them. Now, mm-hmm. Now there's – An interesting thing here, I think. So there are some women who have just truly dropped out of contemporary knowledge, and we often find these women because there's a woman in a photograph which who hasn't been Mm labelled, and there's been some really interesting cases of this recently where someone says, well, who was she? Mm. And they start doing the research, and and they find these interesting stories of women who have just been erased and written out. And I sometimes find women hidden in footnotes, you know, tiny nine-point footnotes at the end of the paper. There'll be a name, and Mm. that's all you have. But there's also women who, in fact, lots is known about them. It's just that you or I don't know about them. Mm. And I think it's great to, you know, bring them, give them more opportunities to be in the spotlight. So Mm -hmm. something I find is what what I do these days is I might be working on I don't know, something, well, as an example, recently I decided to investigate whether the Earth's core or the core of other planets Mm. was a global commons. There's Mm. been a bit of discussion about this because the United States has rejected the idea that space is a global commons. And I thought, Mm. well, what's the opposite of space? It's the core of a planet. So what is the status of the core? So as I was researching this, Um, I was trying to find out when people knew what the core was made out of, what the science had told us and at what different stages our our knowledge of what exactly it was had sort of crystallised. And as part of this, I came across a really interesting woman, uh, Inga Lehmann, who was a Danish seismologist. Mm. And she is actually quite well known. It's just, I'd never heard of her before. I'd never, no, I've never heard of her either. That's exactly right. It's, it's a lot of the time with these scientists, we talked about it last time in the podcast, is 
when it's a male scientist, you say Isaac Newton's theory of gravity. You put his name in there. So you say, who discovered gravity in inverted commas? Ah, it was Isaac Newton. We say Newton's theory of gravity. Einstein's theory of relativity. We, we have a habit of using these names, but we don't say Marie Curie, the discoverer of, of, of um, radiation and that sort of stuff. We, 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 we have a habit of leaving off the women's names from the discovery. We separate the two out. And I never understood that. So I don't, I have no idea who discovered about the core. I mean, how do you even know the core? You can't drill down there. We've only gone down a couple of kilometers, like I think 20 kilometers. How do we know that, that there's a solid core and a liquid core and a crust and mantle? I mean, they could all just be lies, lies on the Illuminati. So <laughs> no, it's really interesting. So, um, before the, early 20th century, um, it was really unclear what was at the centre of the Earth. Mm. And there's wonderful stories like Jules Verne's Journey to the Centre of the Earth, which mm. was published in 1864, I think. And at that stage, they thought the Earth might be kind of porous, you know. It might be filled with massive caverns. Mm. And inside these caverns, there might be whole other ecosystems. And there might be, you know, dinosaurs might have survived inside <laughs> the I said, hollow, I've yeah. heard the hollow earth sphere theory, like, ah, oh, yes, inside it's all hollow and you can just like walk on the internal bits and yeah, it's all that kind of craziness. <laughs> yeah, but you know, at, at a certain point, this is what the science suggested it might be. Mm. And then, um, it, people became aware that in fact the earth wasn't, I mean, obviously there are caves, mm. but they're not, you know, the size of a city or a continent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, People became aware that there was a, a ball of molten metal at the centre of the earth. Mm. And so people worked around that theory for a while. But what they didn't know until Inga Lehmann came along mm. was that inside that molten layer, there was a solid core. So it's, the core has two parts. But how do we know that? Though? How do we know that it's got a solid core? How, how did Inga discover this? Well, she was a seismologist, or she became a seismologist, and she also worked in geodesy, which is how you measure the qualities of the earth. So two great areas of expertise. Hmm. And there was a massive earthquake in New Zealand in 1929, the Murchison earthquake, Hmm. and it was her analysis of the seismic waves from that earthquake which revealed that it wasn't quite as simple as people thought Hmm. in in the centre of the earth, and, in fact, it had these two layers and then people, you know, it's often the case. Women will come up with uh, some amazing theory mm-hmm. and it will just be dismissed out of hand. Mm-hmm. But in this case, her male colleagues uh, went to work on the data and very quickly verified that she was correct. Wow. So there's, so, a, solid, there's a solid iron core surrounded by a molten iron core yeah. surrounded by rock of some sort. The spinning of that molten layer against the solid layer is what generates Earth's magnetic fields. Ah, so, right. so, and the other thing that I found when I started looking at this was that I had just assumed that other planets had molten cores in the same mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until this moment, in fact, I've, I've written, I have put words that have been published to the effect that Mars has a molten metal core. Okay. But in fact, we don't know what the core of Mars is like. So yeah. we need an Inga Lehman to go and work on Mars as well. <laughs> yes. So, so she's quite an extraordinary scientist, mm. and she has a thing named after her. She has a beetle named after her. Okay. So this is a fabulous idea, and lots <laughs> of people are doing this, but if you're the kind of scientist who who – 
finds things that can be named for things, mm. it would be a lovely thing to do to to seek out some oh. of these and make sure that their their names are preserved yes. in botanical and zoological terminology. Um, minor asteroids, or minor planets, and things like that. When you when you discover a uh, an asteroid zooming around somewhere, you could always name it after a, a female scientist. And in fact, she also does have an asteroid name. Ah, for her. So excellent. Good. Pretty well, but the thing that was astonishing to me <laughs> was I I had never heard of her, and it was just this little random train of thought that I was following that led me to to find out about her. And yeah. so the action. I took at that point was instead of thinking, oh, that's interesting, I thought, oh, here's this amazing scientist I've never heard of, so I'm going to tweet about her. Yes. So it's kind of passing the information on in yes. that way. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's, it's, um, sharing it with other people is a good idea. Mm. And then um, I was also earlier in the year, um, as part of our isolation from the world for the coronavirus, mm. I decided I would create an online Twitter course about space archaeology, which is my research specialization. And every morning I would wake up at 5.30 and I would spend a couple of hours tweeting about space archaeology to people, which was really it was interesting and an interesting way to convey information and interact in a sort of a classroom situation. Mm. But as often happens in the social media world, people came up with things that I'd never come across before. Mm. And we were talking about some space sites located in Nigeria. So Nigeria in 1956 hosted a microlock tracking station for the Explorer series of satellites. Mm. And then later on it hosted a tracking station for the Mercury and Gemini human spaceflight missions. Mm, okay, yeah. yeah, so I was kind of picking away at what is the story here? Like how did these American space installations kind of impact on local people's lives and mm. who was working on them and what were the connections? And, again, completely out of the blue, I came across the names of some Nigerian women physicists. Mm. Mm. Okay. Oh, this is so. Here are these people again. I've, I've never heard of them. So I went chasing through the corridors of Google, and and you know even <laughs> there's more stuff out there than even there was five years ago. It's, mm -hmm. So I discovered um, one of these women did in fact have a Wikipedia page. Her name is Ibiyinka A Fuapi, and she does have a Wikipedia page. But the Wikipedia page is really rudimentary. So mm. it, it has just some basic biographical details. All of the information stops at 2012. Mm -hmm. So it's out of date. It's poorly referenced. And as you often find, you go to a Wikipedia page and mm. there'll be a mass heading saying there's problems with this article. Yes. It doesn't have enough references, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's I thought, stub. okay. Yes. Yeah. It's a stub and, you know, it will list why it's not Adequate, and we know they're quite ruthless. So Wikipedia has, I think it's something like only 18% of the regular editors are women, mm -hmm. and there is, um, I don't know, something similar. 80% of all the pages are about men and mm -hmm. what men do. Mm -hmm. So there has been a big push in recent times, and um, Kat Ross is sort of part of this mm -hmm. as well, to just say, okay, let's just even the balance. Let's mm -hmm. just get some more women right in up. there. Yeah. Write them up. So here is an action that you can take. If you come across a woman's name 
go and find out if she has a Wikipedia page, what's known about her. Mm. You can start one and it's not that hard. I mean, mm. I'm not saying it's not without challenges, mm. but you can start one or you can look at what's already there and start to add to it and augment it. And there's a few things to do if you do this. So mm. this is what I've been doing with Ibi Inca A Fuape. Yes, I've had that. And it's something our listeners can do too then. Very, very, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's definitely something they can work towards. One thing that often happens with, with women in science, but in other fields as well, is their male colleagues will be called by their titles, you know, mm-hmm. doctor, professor, whatever. Mm-hmm. The women will be called by their first names or mm-hmm. be called by their marital title or something. Mm-hmm. And you will also see that men in texts will get called by their last name. Mm-hmm. And women will get called by their first names. Ah. So it's a really easy thing to do. If if you see this in a Wikipedia article in passing, if you see that a, a, a woman is being referred to by her first name throughout, so it's kind of a diminutive. It's like treating them like, um, you know, a person without a full name, like mm-hmm. a, a child mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. someone like that. Just go through, edit it, go through and put her surname through yeah. or make sure her name is there. So that's super easy to do. And go and see, there's heaps of stuff. So, but with mm. Ibi Inka A. Fuapi, it turns out that in 2018, she was invited by the American Physical Society to give the Marshak Lecture. Mm-hmm. So this is a very prestigious um, lectureship. And her topic was the status of women in physics mm. in Nigeria and other African countries. And fortunately, that PowerPoint is actually online. Okay. And in that point, she has a little biographical slide which says, you know, this is what I did at this point. And so there's a whole bunch of information there that I was able to just lock straight into her Wikipedia page. Right. And you knew, and you knew it was real because she gave it herself. It wasn't. It's yes. not hearsay. And so I could reference it mm. to a source because mm. one thing they're very strict on, rightly so, is is that information is accurate and mm. can be. So, look, this is something that took me – okay, I'm going to say, I mean, I did get a little bit lost down a rabbit hole. <laughs> That's but, Wikipedia. You, know, you can do – you can make a little tiny difference in five minutes. Hmm. And because I've started looking at her, I've come across some other – so there's another Nigerian physicist, Ebi Oban, and she doesn't have a Wikipedia page at all. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just – like my eyes and ears are kind of just – Open. I'm kind of thinking: Is there? If I come across something that's relevant, um, I can note it and and do something about it. So this is just mm. this is kind of little stuff, mm, but yeah. it's a difference, and anybody can do it. Anybody can be a Wikipedia editor, and you can add more information. If you find something that you don't, you're wondering if no one else has seen, you can go check Wikipedia and then link it in. If, if it's already a page there, you yeah. can say, I found this amazing page. Here it is. Here's a link to it. You don't need to write it all up yourself. It can just be, here's a link to this thing, at least now that it's it's there. Like it's, it's it, There's a link in the reference section. Yes, and that, that making connections to all of that information is a really important part mm-hmm. of it as well. So this is something that, you know, anyone can do. You You have to be aware of information that, you know, it may not be relevant to the thing you're working on at the minute, but mm-hmm. you think, oh, this is part of this other story mm-hmm. or this other person's life, and then just take a few minutes to actually 
build up the online record of these women. So something else that came across um, during the week was uh, a quote that's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a citation is feminist memory. So if people's work doesn't get cited, then they will drop out. Yes. But if you make their work visible, if you, if, if, so I, if I put, which I haven't done yet with the Inca APUAPI, I'm going to put details of what her research interests in. Mm-hmm. So if somebody Googles the chaotic behavior of the upper ionosphere, mm-hmm. which is what her current research interests is in, she might come up and they might go to her work and they might cite her work mm-hmm. and that benefits her career. Yes. So. Yeah. Of all the research metrics everybody has to do these days. So, so there can be a material benefit for the person whose work. And the other thing here is you, you, you are not allowed to edit your own Wikipedia page. So she <laughs> she's yes. absolutely reliant on someone else doing this work for her. So, oh, so you can't, I didn't realize that. So you can't go, you can't add to the Dr. Space Junk page. Your I cannot. Doctor, oh, wow. Okay. Even though you're the person who had the most information about your life. I mean, admittedly, you may be subjective, but still. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah. I did. Well, I was naughty once, but I wasn't really naughty because somebody had, you know, I'm lucky too because other people have looked after my page. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was an inaccuracy, and I thought I have to fix this. So mm-hmm. I did fix it, but but I was wrapped over the knuckles for doing that. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. So once again, it's just, it's a part of the community. Then you've got to look after the person. To your left, it's almost like uh, Spartans in their shields. You can't, you can't defend yourself. You're defending the person off to your left. If you want to think of it that way, everyone is sort of it's an odd analogy, but everyone is everyone is protecting the person off to their left or their right, and you've got to, you've got to trust that someone will protect you as well. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I think there's a nice sort of community about looking out for each other mm. in this as well. Mm. And I mean, you cannot, you might hear in the news or, you know, some person got an award. Mm. Think, oh, I wonder is that in, on their page yet? Go yes. and have a look and make sure that it gets put in. Or maybe you read their latest publication and you think, oh, this work is really groundbreaking. I mean, you can't, you don't want to, Wikipedia pages are, uh, are intended for a general audience. You mm. don't want to flood them with esoteric research stuff, but mm-hmm. you can say, you know, this person's, um, Recent research has led to the knowledge that this thing is the case or something. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can, you can do things like that. They're accurate. They're providing information that people may need to know about. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of assisting that person's profile and their research work. Yeah. I guess you could also say, um, it may be something as simple as reading an article. You may say, you know, in, uh, nature, January 2020, uh, this researcher was, was, uh, had a, had a story about X and, and they just, and she discovered blah, blah, and blah. And you can just put it in a sentence and then it links to the, the story, which links to a paper and it makes it, and everyone goes, Oh, it's nature. It's a, you know, it's a big publication or whatever it is. So, uh, it, it's something yeah, useful. Exactly. Exactly. So, so this is something I'd like to encourage people to do. So. There you go, listeners. What you should do is is think of a female researcher that you feel doesn't get enough love and go and help them. 
and go and actually add to their Wikipedia page. Do some real research. Just find one thing, one thing that's not on their re- on their page, and and then back it up with some with some actual links and references, and then go add it one line into a Wikipedia article. It may vanish, but they can be quite ruthless. <laughs> but at least you've done <laughs> you can you've done what you can do. Uh, even if you just do one thing to help one female researcher, that's pretty good. I could not have said it better myself. And I should at this point acknowledge the amazing work of Jess Wade, who is a UK scientist who has become known for writing. I think she's written thousands of Wikipedia entries for women scientists. She's done amazing work. And and this has provided inspiration, uh, certainly for me and for many others. Hmm. Um, just exactly as you say, let, you know, let's look after each other. Let's make sure that someone doesn't sink out of sight because we didn't take five minutes just to make sure that they still had an online presence. So I love the way that you expressed that before, Greg. Thank you very much. Now, before we finish up today, in the notes that you sent me before, this is why I like working with you, uh, Dr. Alice, it's because you send amazing notes. <laughs> it makes my life so much easier. And one, one that you said at the end, which I thought I'd like to touch on is of people who are utterly forgotten in and around the world and especially in Australia, it's getting slightly better. And that's, of course, the Indigenous Australians and Indigenous Australians' contribution to science and Indigenous women's contribution to science. When I sat down and read your notes, I went, yep, I can't think of... I can think of one student, one recent PhD who's I know is an indigenous uh is yeah, indigenous researcher. She's only just passed her her research and 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 I went, "Oh, I'm very very uh ignorant in this area." And and so I guess it's it's do you know of any indigenous uh women in science that we should be looking at? There's some amazing young Indigenous women around at the moment. So um, Kalia Linton-Noon is a young astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crystal DiNapoli is mm-hmm. another one. We do have some extraordinary young women in the, the sort of space science astronomy field at the moment from different Indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. I was doing some research on the role of Aboriginal women Mm. around the Woomera rocket launch site in South Australia. Mm -hmm. And in the 1960s and 70s when, you know, which is kind of the heyday of Australia's Mm. first space age, Mm. now, of course, this uh, amazing space renaissance going on. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, This was still in the era when uh, of the assimilation policy, Mm. which was basically trying to sort of, not to put too fine a point on it, breed Aboriginal people mm. out into mm. the community. And at that stage, Aboriginal men were expected to be um, labourers in agricultural construction. Aboriginal women were expected to be domestic servants. That was mm. considered to be the height of their intellectual capacity. Wow. So yeah. Aboriginal women were really just at the bottom of that hierarchy. Mm. So what we're looking at now is is, it, you know, in as much as we're trying to sort of make STEM and science fields kinder places for women to get into and work into, Aboriginal women are so much further. They're coming from a place that is so much mm. further away to mm. get to this point. And there's a, a heap of great programs. CSIRO has been doing some wonderful work working with Indigenous girls at high school and young scientists. And there's a lot of programs around which are aiming to feed into this. But I think having that historical perspective is really useful. 
because it just makes you realize like up, up and, and, and until so we know that aboriginal people were included in the census for the first time in 1967 that's three years after i was born that's, and so yeah that long ago no <laughs> it's shocking it's really it's really it is just you know astonishing so so when we're talking about getting women into stem fields and keeping them in stem fields i just think we have to be aware that even to have a foot in the door is a major achievement for a lot of indigenous women and girls and we need to be providing all of the support we can for that because as you said before we can't leave indigenous people out of these conversations and out of the power and out of australia's new Space age, so absolutely, which is definitely coming in leaps and bounds. I mean, reading lots of stories, won't go into them now, but amazing stories that you'll be seeing in the news very soon about Australia's role in, in the in the space race. It's, uh, I mean, and I was like trying to point out that this is not even being altruistic. I, I'm being quite selfish in some way by, by promoting all this because it's if if all these if you take all these people like these, these female indigenous scientists and you get them into roles, then of course they're going to discover amazing things and they're going to make my life easier. So if you even if you're purely selfish like me, then you're, it's, you'll learn more things and you, it makes my life easier as well. So, you know, so if, <laughs> I think it's maybe it's a weird takeaway now I think about it, but, <laughs> but it's not. Hey, look, just, that if that's how it's going to work, I don't have any problem with that. I just remember, so yeah, it's Kirsten Banks is the other um, Indigenous astronomer that I was thinking of. Ah, Talia Lintanoon and Kirsten Banks and and Crystal Napoli, who are all young Aboriginal women working in STEM fields. So we've got some fantastic role models, but we want to have more. We need more. We absolutely need as many as we can get. Dr. Space Junk, it's amazing to chat to you once again. It's Dr. Alice Gorman. I always say Dr. Space Junk, but Dr. Alice Gorman, Associate Professor Alice Gorman, actually. I'm going to use your proper title. There it is. I'm going to, I'm going to be correct about that. If people are looking, wanted to chat to you and want to uh, follow you on the socials, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Dr. Space Junk. And they can also look at my blog, Space Age Archaeology, and I would be very happy to talk to anyone, get suggestions or support for furthering the program of Space for Women in Australia. And, of course, we should mention you have an amazing book as well. Ah, so my most recent book, my only book, is Dr. Space Junk versus the Universe, Archaeology in the Future. And it is, I will just come out and say it's a feminist book. You might not notice it at first, but it kind of <laughs> is. And these are some issues very close to my heart, and I do discuss them in the course of the book. Brilliant. I think everyone should, but I have, a, I was looking over to my right there trying to find it. I know it's in my library over there somewhere. I must be in another room somewhere. Anyway, I have a copy. It's <laughs> the point I'm trying to say here. And everyone else should get a copy as well. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Alice, it's been fantastic chatting to you once again and uh, stay well and we'll see you uh, in the future. I hope so. Greg, I always love being on your podcast. There are so many interesting female scientists that I just know nothing about. It's it's frankly criminal. These people are, need to be made more visible and we can do that. Maybe you can go and update a Wikipedia article to help out. Here's a really cool thing about Inga Lerman. She lived to 104 years old. 
wow, that's really impressive. We should also know about the indigenous people who are getting into science. Once again, frankly criminal, the fact that these people are not more better represented in each country. And I'm talking mainly about indigenous Australians, but of course there are indigenous Americans, there are indigenous people everywhere. Keep an eye out for those scientists as well. If you have enjoyed this episode, please let me know. If you think there's a scientist that we should talk about, that you're like, why doesn't anyone talk about this amazing woman or this amazing minority that no one ever mentions, let me know as well and I can see what I can find about them. Okay, everyone, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Bye.